how you compete and what kind of teammate you are on a day-to-day basis in an environment like a school matters to, to college coaches who have a community amongst their team and they want to hear that. That was Governor's Academy coach James Crampton. He's up next on the Base Path Podcast. Welcome to the Base Path Podcast with your hosts, Dan Guttenplan and Matt Feld. Today's guest has been a coach in the ISL for the last three years as the head coach at the Governor's Academy in Byfield, Massachusetts. Gov's coach James Crampton is a proponent of the push to bring a postseason tournament to the ISL, although that push looks to have fallen short for the 2023 season. The Govs have a talented roster that appears primed to compete for an ISL regular season title in 2023. Coach, thanks so much for joining the pod. Well, thanks for having me, fellas. This is great. I love talking baseball with the snow and ice on the ground. I'm <laughs> yeah. Look up a little bit. Right. Well, we, I, we'll, we'll obviously get to your team and just the outlook of the ISL in general for 2023. You guys have a lot of good, talented players back. So that's, I'm sure, an exciting time leading into the season. I did want to talk to you about the ISL postseason tournament. We did a story on that about a week ago, and it looks like it's not going to happen for 2023. Which is weird because to me, it seems like all of the coaches are almost unanimous in that everybody seems to want it, but it doesn't look like it's going to happen. What is your understanding of why it is not going to happen this year? And what, how, what are your thoughts on it? Sure. I'm sure you saw my, my tweet in response to the, to the story there and just reflecting just some disappointment from our side and the coach's side and, and certainly all of our kids. I'm sure if you pulled the week, you, know, you get an almost unanimous decision there. The kids want to want to be in a playoff format. There's there's no I don't think anybody would argue for just the, the best record at the end of the year. And that can lead to co-champions and tri-champions and stuff. And just a little anticlimactic to have that wrap up your season when you got Two pretty intense months of great competition. Then maybe you're doing scoreboard watching while you're playing a team that's not even involved. It's, it's just less exciting and less of a chance to kind of showcase the kids' talents as well. So you'd always rather be on the on the same field as the team that you're trying to beat for for top dog. And you know, so there's a little disappointment there. But so my understanding, and again, I'm not complete privy to, to all of the the process and the conversations that were happening behind the scenes. I know there's a really a significant appetite for it, certainly from the coaches. The ADs are really excited about it too. There's just a lot of logistics involved with making something like this happen, especially right at the end of the year in a relatively complex league like the ISL. You've got 16 schools with some are a few hours apart from each other, and you've got the nature of the schools themselves differ. You've got day schools, you've got largely boarding schools and everything in between. So there, there's a lot to to account for, especially when you're trying to to fit something like this in right before graduation with all that that happens there. So I recognize that there's uh, it's a complex problem to solve for. Now that being said, Kenny Ackerman down at there, he's done an amazing job in putting forth a really yeah, impressive proposal with a ton of thought of legwork in there for the Hades to, to then take to the heads and there's a steering committee involved in making any decisions that, that changes how they crown champions in the league. And my sense is that it, we just ran out of time for this year and, um, there's a lot of good things in place. So I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that, that we revisit for next year and, and I'm, I'm kind of optimistic that, that we have a shot at it for 2024, but some, some things and conversations need to take place between now and then. Coach, right now across, certainly seems since the pandemic, there's been an uptick and I don't have the exact numbers, but it's certainly just from a perception standpoint that kids have certainly been looking to get an extra year of 
of high school back maybe that they lost or they of course the backlog on college recruiting due to the additional year given by the ncaa as well as the presence of the transfer portal i'm curious from your perspective have you seen an uptick in in student athletes that are interested in joining your program and governor's academy in general yeah that's a, yes so i my my day job my job job is in the admission office here and that's that's what i get paid for every two weeks the baseball piece is <laughs> something that, that i love to do and helps contribute to the community here but the admissions piece is is what i do nine to five and a lot of times later than that this time of year but yeah so Governors and, and a lot of schools, peer schools in our group actually saw an uptick in, in applications over, over the pandemic. And for, for a number of different reasons, we could do probably a whole podcast on, on the admission side of things and numbers wise. So I'll, I'll keep it brief, but it, it, numbers were actually typically healthy for, especially the healthier schools, the more competitive schools. They, they were, they were solid. They came out pretty well from that, that situation. I think you got a lot of families that either were dissatisfied with either a fully virtual or disjointed approach from their, their schools and were looking for either smaller classes or a more integrated approach on the, on the virtual side of things. A lot of different reasons there, but. Your question about reclassing is a really interesting one, and it's a, a key topic in, in the area here. I, I think anybody can appreciate, yes, is the answer. There's been a lot more requests for reclassing. And I don't push kids in that direction unless there's like a socio-emotional or, or specific academic reason for that. It's, it's really on the family side. There just happens to be a lot of, and, and relatively few downsides. They're real. And, and for many families, they may be deal breakers, but there, there's a lot of upsides. Anybody can appreciate the athletic side of things, right? You're a year bigger, stronger, faster, a year more skilled, a year longer in the program and, and a year longer in the recruiting process too, right? So we don't need to spend a ton of time there. I think everybody sees that for what it is. What I think a lot of families miss, and and I see this from the admissions side, there's a huge benefit academically here too, right? So there's some misconceptions about what a reclass year is and what it's not. I think a lot of families think it's a repeat year and you're holding your kid back. Couldn't be farther from the truth. You're still, so when you pass all your classes, you're still going to move forward in all of your subjects. So if you're taking geometry as a ninth grader, you're still, you pass it, you're still going to move on to algebra two. You just be taking algebra two as a ninth grader. And so across all classes, now what that means for that your fifth year, your, your new senior year, that entire slate of classes, you would not have been able to reach if you had not reclassified, right? And you're then typically those classes are really cool classes. They're, they're super advanced AP classes offered by these schools or they're really in-depth classes in business or economics or neuroscience, or we have an amazing marine biology program on campus. You could be tagging sharks second period and come back for English. Cool, right? Like you, you wouldn't necessarily have that opportunity to take those classes or get to that level if without the reclass year. So I think a lot of families see it as a way to like to fix a poor academic record or or fix bad experience coming out of COVID. And certainly that's the case for some kids, but it's not hard to argue that even your really, really good students or conscientious students would actually more benefit from the process as well. So there's just a lot of upside to it. There, there's an age limit. You can't turn 20 by the time you graduate. So you can't keep doing it. But see, also look at data for college and I, I haven't seen an updated one, but it was like 10, 15 years ago, I saw a, a piece of data that said that less than half of all, all kids going to college graduate in four years. I think they take longer than four years. I can't imagine that that's increased a whole lot coming out of the pandemic. So I think 
the, these schools do a great job in educating the whole person and producing young men and women who are ready to succeed when they hit the ground in, in college. And yeah, there's, uh, for that reason, that last year is, is just really attractive to a lot of families. So guys, you've got a really big price tag. You got to pay an extra year of that to, to access that reclass year. But for even many, many families who get the financial aid piece that can defray or remove that. You've got some kids that, that if they're ready to go to college, their buy-in can be challenging. You get a little early onset senioritis creep in. I mean, that could be a challenge. You really just got to know yourself and whether you can keep your nose to the grindstone and stay where your feet are for that last year. But college isn't going anywhere. And I think a lot of families see the benefits. It's interesting to hear you talk about the changes that took place during the pandemic because your first year at Governor's Academy was 2020, which is like, I mean, everybody got squeezed by the pandemic. Nobody enjoyed it, but it's like, that's a, that's a really hard year to come to a new school, be the head baseball coach. And then there's basically little to no baseball season. Um, what have been the biggest challenges for you or like the biggest surprises, I guess, since you got there? How's the job been different than what you thought you were kind of committing to? I don't think I was surprised a ton. I think I knew the challenge coming in. My network, I was coming from a school in Connecticut, a wonderful place, Canterbury School. I was an assistant coach there under Todd Mathewson, the Mathewson families, New England institution, going back to Earl, Todd's father. And Todd kind of, I was happy to be a really good pitching coach there and, and be an assistant coach and be play that role, but had the opportunity to come up here. My fiance at the time, now wife is from Somerville. And so I moved up here for that. And then the, the job opened up here. The, the challenge was, was, was that like, was moving from the assistant coach role to the head coach role. I never really wanted to take on all the logistical stuff, the dealing with the, all the behind the scenes stuff, the head coaches spend so much time losing sleep on They'd much rather be on the field or working with their kids. I didn't want to deal with all that. So taking on all of that, organizing your Southern trip, or taking on all the recruiting aspect of it, under, wondering, <laughs> this one's funny, but the thing I was actually most nervous about was not looking like an idiot giving signs at third base. I've never had to do that before. So I spent some time in front of the mirror figuring out. So <laughs> a little nervous about that, but, but honestly, it was, it was taking on all the other stuff away from baseball. That was the biggest challenge. And then, and, and creating a network um, with either different AAU programs um, for our kids to develop with and to find kids, creating those from, from scratch, essentially. Yeah, I've had connections in Connecticut, but fewer up here. So just takes a lot of conversations and showing up when you're supposed to show up and do it right by people. And then they return your calls, right? So, but that's, there, there's no substitute for that. And, and the, the silver lining of the pandemic was that I had a couple, really a couple of years to kind of build the program, not from scratch, uh, my, my predecessor, Mike Keneally, mentor, uh, kept on as an assistant coach after I, I asked him to come on as an assistant coach after I was hired, built a great program, was successful, had a couple of titles himself, but uh, building the depth of the program was something that I really wanted to do. And that was, you know, I had a couple of years, a couple of recruiting cycles, essentially to do that because of COVID. What are some of the, as you go about and, and kids express interest in joining the baseball program or, or prospective applicants, what do you find that kids are, and parents are looking for in, in, in a program? And what do you think are separators between yourself and, and other ISL and other prep schools? Sure. So the, the first thing is the school, right? The school has got to have the great, the, the right fit there for each kid academically, socially, it's the vibe, right? It's got to, kids got to feel comfortable in, in their own, in their own skin on campus there. That's got to be the first piece. I think the, the role of the high school program has certainly changed since I graduated high school in 2002. It's certainly been, been changed by 
by the rise of the, the summer programs and the, their off-season programs, all that. But for better or worse, I think you get a little bit of both there. And I think there's a perception that high school season doesn't. And I, I would argue strongly that it does for different reasons. Some the same, right? And the ISL, the, the great thing is you've got unbelievable competition. I mean, <laughs> top to bottom, you've got teams where top to bottom in the lineups, you've got future college baseball players, like almost across the board. And you've got a half dozen or more 90 mile an hour arms. I mean, it's, it's incredibly high level baseball. So you get that really good competition. So when you share stats with, with the college coach, it's not, it's not just the blast sensor data. It's not just your ED. It's not just your rep soto numbers. Like all that stuff matters, but how you compete and what kind of teammate you are on a day-to-day -day basis in an environment like a school matters to, to college coaches who have a community amongst their team and they want to hear that. So I think families want to hear A, that, that you can help their kid develop, right? That you're going to be competitive in season, that it's a healthy environment, that are developing as human beings, as young men, and you can help with the, with the recruiting process for sure. But, you know, I think there, there's a more holistic approach to, to the baseball programs at these schools than, than the summer. Summer programs have a different goal, largely. I think the best programs also account for development of the full person and, and as well as the baseball player, but the scope of programs differ. Looking to keep up with all the latest news and information on New England baseball? New England Baseball Journal and BaseballJournal.com are the premier resources for information and inspiration on the New England baseball scene. Have every issue of New England Baseball Journal, the magazine, delivered to your home or office. And don't forget to stay in the game every day with a digital subscription to BaseballJournal.com to receive baseball coverage on clubs, college commits, prep and high school, Division one, two, and three colleges, showcases, rankings, and much more. Get in the game and behind the scenes now by going to BaseballJournal.com just click on the subscribe button and start the subscription that is right for you today. New England Baseball Journal is a Siemens Media publication. Siemens Media. Inspiring. Informative. Insightful. I wanted to touch back on, you mentioned a travel trip and... We did some stuff on that, like when it started, and it used to be a couple of prep school programs would go down to Florida or somewhere down south in, in March to kind of have a spring trip. And now it seems like every prep program in New England is doing it for players, parents who are considering going the prep route. Like, what is the, what does that spring trip look like? Who are you playing there? What's to be gained from the trip rather than just staying on campus and having a lot of workouts at home? Sure. So the first thing to understand is the way that most private schools, at least the boarding private schools, set up their vacations. So instead of the, the shorter February and April breaks, we kind of mash them together for our kids who need to travel a fair distance all the way to California or abroad, right? So you can't just send them home for four days and have them turn around and come back. So we have a two to three week break in March. So it's a great opportunity ahead of the season to get some reps in because once we get back in, in late March, early April, especially with weather compressing the beginning of the season, then graduation compressing the other end, you, you've got a ton of games in a really short amount of time. So you, you, need, to be, you need to hit the ground running. You're, you're really at a disadvantage if you're not getting cleats in the dirt and gelling together as a team and getting live reps on a field against people in a different uniform with the adrenaline going, right? So there's a huge benefit there. And I'm 
I'm sure that's why it, it's a nice marketing tool. Hey, you go down to Florida or you go to California or go to Dominican or Aruba or something like that. Right. And that's attractive. So I think to any prospective student athlete, but it, it's super useful from a camaraderie standpoint, a skill standpoint, um, get kids rolling. So yeah, yeah. so the, the typically the, there's different formats for those trips, obviously, but typically you're playing other New England prep schools, some teams, really good teams from Canada. There may be a few local teams down there, but largely it's other prep schools from New England who are down there who are in a similar spot. Goal is, is to be one of the, the stronger programs in New England. To do that, they need to, to play the other best programs in New England. So we do that outside of the ISL program up here with Andover and Bangor and Washington and some of those schools outside of league play. But down, down south, I requested the schedule maker to get some of the better Connecticut area schools on the team or on the, on the, on the schedule there. So it's still preliminary. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to um, mention those, but we've got some, some really heavy hitters that we otherwise wouldn't be able to play when we're up here. So it's just a great opportunity to get together and get some really good competition. So there isn't a lag by the time you get back up here. So it's not like the alternative is you're going to just stay up here and scrimmage New England teams for three weeks. You'd be sending them home and just wouldn't see them for three weeks. So it's like, you're either. Good, right. You've got some great facilities up here, but you're really at the mercy of weather. And, right. Yeah. Um, rather play in 75, sunny or. Yeah. yeah that makes sense. Mid-March probably, right? So you can do it. And, and last year we had a trip down to Florida scheduled and my wife's due date was like eight days later. And begrudgingly waved the, the white flag and we, and we practiced up, up north here. We had a great week, a ton of reps, but no cleats in the dirt. The ball bounces differently inside. You can't really replicate that without going somewhere warm. Got it. Coach, what's your overall viewpoint and perspective on your team this year and just the expectations you have for the group? Sure. So we had a, a great senior class last year, really talented guys, great leaders. And we had a, but we had a really, really strong underclass core. So a lot of those boys are back. We had a bunch of first teamers come back. We had the league had three try pitchers of the year. Two graduated. The third, Kalanini is, is a senior for a senior captain for us. So got a rating league pitcher of the year coming back, which is pretty rare. And it just a really good young core coming up. So a few commits have popped. Yeah, we got Hunter Kingsbury committed to, to Bryant, really good athlete. They'll be flying our field and shortstop for us. When our other shortstop, Christian Oliver, who was, he had like a one ERA. He was in discussion for pitcher of the year himself. And I recruited him largely as a hitter and shortstop. So that was a cool surprise on, on my end. And he'll be back as a junior this year. He just grew like three inches as well. Kellen put on 25 pounds late in the off season. So excited to see where. Where he's, we got some good young position players pretty much across the board. So the best thing, they're super close with each other. They're, they're great guys. They, they get their work in really positive on the dugout, on the field and practice. And there's the pleasure to be around. So I just can't, I don't need to tell. I just can't wait to get that out there around the guys, but we, we should be strong. The, you, the league is going to be wide open every, I don't care what you have coming back. The, the league was, it blew, blew me away with last year being my first real full year of competition, the ISL, how much parity there is from the top of the league down to the bottom like there was a rare rare score where you see a blowout but even if you got the team lower the seedings versus the top seeded team team you don't get blowouts too often and the talent's eye-opening so i'd like to say we well the expectations the goals are to be there at the end of the year as champions of the isl at least in the mix going in that last week or so and then hopefully to be to be considered in the top 10 or so in, in your rankings in the spring so hopefully we can do some damage outside of the isl against those top tier teams as well so th those are the goals kids are all on they want to do their best and and focusing on the process but those are our, our season-long goals
Yeah, it seems like a really difficult thing to handicap the ISL because it's you got new guys coming in every year, big time recruits. These programs are bringing in and six inches in a year, like right, right. So you never really know, and there's so many good programs developing kids in terms of velocity and skills and stuff right now that you can see kids who are completely off the radar like pop for a team, and all of a sudden they're they're the pitcher of the year and. You, you don't know, maybe you can see a little bit on Twitter and stuff, but you don't know what's going to happen. And all it takes is an injury or two as well, right? The, the season's so compressed that one injury can impact half of the season for a key player. Um, so there, there's a lot of variables that you just can't control, but the ISL is really, really good. You got some amazing longtime coaches and some exciting new coaches coming in. And as you said, there's, there's, there's some turnover every year and some players making the jump and the development's real also. Yeah. Do you have a set, like when you look at the schedule, I know Lawrence Academy's defending champs, um, Belmont Hill, like you said, longtime coach, proud program. Are there like two or three games you circle and say, hey, you know, if we can face off well with this team, we're in good shape? Yeah, yes and no. But truly, this isn't me dodging your question. Our, our rivals, Brooks, will go at at Andy Campbell's team hard every year and they'll, they'll come at us hard and they're the, they're our official rivals. So, so that'll be a big game that the school, as you just mentioned, we had a one, nothing extra inning loss to Thayer late in the year. I know Jimmy Pierce and Tangy down there. I certainly don't want to lose to my buddies there. And <laughs> honestly, like they're the Mike Keneally, when I came in, I basically asked him the same question, trying to get the lay of the land. And he said, look, be dead in the eye. And he said, there are no easy games. <laughs> He like yeah okay sure 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 no a hundred percent accurate so yeah, I've learned but you really you honestly can't look past anybody in the league so I I know yeah, we had a ton of one on games so no uh, they're all of them uh, Cir- circled all sixteen of them <laughs> well all fifteen games are are yeah they're dog fights and you you don't have any trap games because you know every single one of them is going to be a dog fight nice. Coach, what's what do you feel like are the, the going forward as as maybe the NCAA rosters kind of revert to to form pre pandemic? Kids like I brought up earlier maybe lost the year of school, maybe they don't, of course, anymore in the future. Kind of how do you see maybe your role changing or or the prep school landscape changing at all in the coming years? As maybe some of the the after effects at both the collegiate athletic level and also the academic scene maybe wear off to some extent. Yeah, and I think that there's, to a certain extent, the roster crunch did impact some kids, especially those bubble kids who are either the D3 Division One bubble or the Division Three bubble, like, hey, you're, you're finding a spot or not. Those kids certainly were the ones that felt that squeeze. I honestly think a bigger factor, it is the transfer portal, and that's not going anywhere. Last I checked, I want to say 2,500 kids or something in the yeah. transfer portal. And if I'm a college coach and I'm feeding my family based largely on my record and I've got a roster spot to fill, am I... Am I Putting that up to chance with with going after a, a high school kid who's a relative unknown commodity, or, or am I at least looking first at the transfer portal to, to check out the kids with a track record who are grown men, right? I'm certainly evaluating that. So there's that all 2,500 kids in the transfer portal just entered competition for the class of 2023, right? Or 2024. And that's a lot of kids that, that they're competing against. So I think the asked about what our role is in the situation, I think it's largely to help navigate the, the recruiting process. And I know the summer programs, the good ones do a, a good job of, of helping kids out and families out with that process. But the schools like governors have really good college counseling programs as well. And they do a great job. That's what their job is in finding great fit on campuses as well, academically 
your social and that stuff too. And I think the coaches should do, or this is one of my goals is just to kind of act as, uh, as the middle ground between the college counseling process and the school piece and the academic and the whole person. And then like, okay, what level can you play at? Who's interested in you and, and all of that. And it might mean making cold calls or, or it might mean kind of verifying what a coach thinks he saw over the course of the summer. So I think it varies a little bit. Um, but uh, I think these schools do such a good job of looking out for the, the whole person that that kind of extends into the, the coach's role, definitely extends in the coach's role, but in particular with, with the, the college process there too. You had a great career as a player at Brown. You had a, uh, you're shaking your head, but I, I think I saw that you were like top. had some really bad years too. So please nobody go look at my baseball. What was your recruiting process like? Back then, like what was, who else, what other schools were you looking at and how did you come up with your decision to go to Brown? That's an awesome question on the heels of the last one, because the, the game has changed so much that it's kind of useless for me to apply my process to my interactions with my families here, because it's just changed so much with the, the explosion of the summer programs and their influence on in the process. Right. So. I mean, I, I only child, so my parents had no idea what was going on. Both were athletes, but like weren't familiar with the, the landscape, the college process. I also was injured my sophomore year, a pitcher, right? I was injured, I missed my whole sophomore year. And then didn't really regain my velocity until late in the summer at the end of my junior year. So a lot of, I wanted to go as, as high as I could. All, all baseball loved it, wanted to play at the highest level possible. But a lot of those high D1 power five schools, I was, I was too late in the process and you know, a little guy that threw harder than Napoleon complex. So I wasn't as attractive to, to those power five schools yeah, and I was too late in the process. So I also filled in bubbles really well and did, did, did pretty well in my SATs. So once, once the New England kind of high academic schools found that out, I, I did go to one showcase actually. It's called the Best of Virginia Showcase. I don't know when that petered out, but went down there and, and hit 91 on the gun there, just throwing from my, my toes. And, and they, they took, took in your, your academic information. I'd done well on the SATs. And so a bunch of Ivies started following me. I had a few New England division ones. I think at St. John's in a couple of places up here, but it was largely Ivies and some stacks. Bill Thurston, I'd worked with as a, as a young bucket at Amherst and looked up to him. And so I was, I was interested in Amherst, but it was, it came down to Brown, Harvard and Dartmouth and Columbia showed the most interest in me and went on my visit down to, to Brown and the recruiting coordinator at the time is, I was Raph Serrato, who's just a New England legend up here. And Merrick Trevinsky was our head coach and they put together a really, really strong pitch that appealed to me about really wanting to to win the Ivy for the first time in a really, really long time for, for Brown and, and that appealed to me and tried to be a part of that, that shared goal. And the school itself was, was interesting in terms of their open curriculum and this and that. And I just felt a great vibe on campus there and for better or worse, I went on that, that official visit and then, and then canceled my other ones with some of the best schools in the world right after that. So looking back on it now, I was great. I had a, a wonderful experience and was able to fulfill that, that goal of, of winning an Ivy League championship with my brothers down there in 2007, shout out. But I, I certainly wouldn't give the advice to my players to go and cancel official visits. <laughs> I like that description of a high SAT score. You did, <laughs> you did well filling in the bubbles. I'm going to. I did mediocre filling in the bubbles. I'm going to start saying that. So yeah, it's, it was a very different process there with, with trying to find exposure. Obviously the internet was, social media was in its infancy. I think Facebook came out like literally my freshman year at Brown. So 
getting exposure was, it, it took a lot of time in the car, but that was really your only way to do that. And my coach, Barry Cleary at Southfield Academy, where, where I went to school, made some calls and stuff too. But yeah, th thankfully I went to that one showcase. Otherwise I don't even know what would happen. <laughs> Coach, in terms of your future, just overall in general, have you ever thought that you'd be interested in coaching at the collegiate level or, and I'm sure that you, for now, of course, plan on being a governor's and that's, that's your plan for the foreseeable future. But I'm just curious if you have any other bucket list items or ever goals in the, in the coaching world. And I, look, I, I just had my first season last year, so I'm still, we're still working on, on the, this program here and I'm invested in my boys. So I'm very close with with the guys in the program here and their families. And I have, my eyes are, are fully locked and loaded straight ahead of the season here in my theater where, you know, where they are right now. So no, I have no, no, I don't have a specific bucket list. And then frankly, I, I think I'm where I was supposed to be. I, I love this age and, and mentoring young men on the cusp of adulthood and, and helping them with their development as, as young men. And hopefully we, we win some games and maybe some championships along the way. But at this, this age is awesome because they still listen to you. Yeah, they haven't figured out that they know everything yet and, and they'll still listen to you if, if you treat them well with respect. And it's, it's a, it's a impressionable age. And so that, for that reason, I, I really enjoy this age where we're at. It's had great support from the administration here at Govs and it's an awesome community. So I've, no, I, I'm not, I'm not really looking at all to, to head out of here at, at a time anytime soon. Nice. Well, coach. Thanks so much for taking the time. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. Where, where's your spring trip this year? Where are you headed? We're headed down to flying in and out of Orlando, playing a, a few teams. Well, we've got a great opportunity to, uh, to play some games at Rollins College with Coach Ogren and, and Donna Stenson University too, which is just awesome. one of the finest Division One fields in the country. And I, I think they're renovating it too. So fingers crossed it's ready to rock. It's hard to imagine a surface being any nicer than, than it was, but uh, really cool experience for the boys. So in and out of Orlando, Rollins College, Stetson University, Vero Beach. Right on. One of these years, I'll have to propose to my boss that I'm going to shadow one of these teams and spend two, <laughs> a couple of weeks in Florida. Yeah, yeah, we'll embed you in the trip here, no doubt. Right on. All right. Well, thank you, coach. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Coach. Thanks to Gov's coach, James Crampin, for joining us on the Base Path Podcast. Rate, review, subscribe to the Base Path Podcast on your preferred platform. Thanks to our producer, David Yaz. The Base Path Podcast is a Siemens Media production. Mm -hmm.